Hi guys, welcome back to my Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today, I have got another fantastic guest, and this guest is Nick Bockner. Nick is a man who is a real man, but also knows when to bring a tissue to a gunfight. Now, that soundbite alone hooked me, so I had to get him onto the show to discuss that, because what Nick's real passion is, is man's health, man's mental health specifically. And that is something that is very dear to my heart. So Nick, welcome to my show. It's terrific to be here. I really appreciate the invitation. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Uh, Nick, a tissue to a gunfight. I heard about a knife to a gunfight. In actual fact, actually, the knife virtually always wins. Um, if, oh, you know, if you know what you... Different it's a different cliche in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> the cliche, yes. And that's the reason that I carry a knife. But it's another story. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. kidding. So, cool. Why the tissue? Why do, would you want to bring a tissue to a gunfight? Because, Stefan, I got damn good at fighting. And not fist fighting. I was never good at fist, fight, fist fighting. Um, but I really, I really learned as a young person how to uh, be mean to other people and to take other people apart. And as it turns out, at least in my experience, that's a fight that always escalates. And so over the course of my own work on myself and my own therapy, what I learned was that I needed to stop fighting and that actually the peace and the contentment comes from finding people who you can nourish and who are nourishing to you and not fighting at all. And sometimes that involves crying a little bit. So uh, I don't bring knives to gunfights. I don't bring guns to gunfights and I don't bring nuclear bombs to gunfights. Now I bring Kleenex to gunfights or I don't show up for the fight at all. Which is the most beautiful thing you can have as your inner core value. And in actual fact, if, if you guys out there don't believe Nick, there's a wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, little film on the internet where a psychologist is standing on a stage in front of an auditorium of teenagers. And he has got this young girl there and he asked her to be mean to him. And the first, the first round, she is mean to him and he completely bites. Why do you say that? Ah, uh, because you stink. Oh, oh, no, no. And it's just, it goes on. He gives her so much fodder to work with and it's brutal to watch. Then he calls a halt and then starts again. But this time he completely rephrases things. And this girl ends up hugging him, despite the fact that she's wow. supposed to be the bully and the meanie. But it shows how powerful the words can be if you know what to use the words. Now, that is that. And, and of course, we do know about that as doctors. Now, tell you another vignette in a moment there. But let's actually go back to the, to the younger Nick. <sighs> we are not born mean. Well, some of us are. One in, one in hundred are psychopaths and sociopaths. Okay. So, I, I take for a moment for granted that you're not amongst that group. So the reason that you end up being mean and that you become a bully is typically insecurities and is typically hurt and trauma in your own life. Uh, am I on the money there with you? You're close. You're, you're really close. So my experience a lot as a kid was that there was a lot of bullying, which of course is um, you know, a, uh, a, a routine that goes across generations that's been around since the dawn of time. And so um, I was the victim of a lot of bullying as a kid, and 
I tried a lot of different things, but ultimately the thing that really worked for me was becoming the bully. Hmm. Um, and that, you know, I, I didn't predict it, but it just, there was a, a sort of a turnaround time where suddenly I learned how to defend myself. And frankly, it worked. And it was the only thing that worked up until that time. Where it didn't work was then when I was in my 30s and I was still a bully to other people. And so I don't necessarily begrudge my teenage self for figuring out a way out of his problems or figuring out a way to protect himself. But as an adult, I needed to learn something that was more functional and more adult. And gratefully, I did. That's interesting because that's, that's the story of our life. We learn coping mechanisms that for a short period of time actually do the trick. Absolutely. That is, that's the alcohol, that's the smoking, that's whatever it is. It actually helps you for a certain period of time. It gives, you the, it gives you the confidence, the, the time to think whilst you're taking a, a deep breath. That gives you about three, four seconds and you can phrase your next plan in action to talk to this girl who is standing in front of you, etc. All that kind yeah. of shit. And if you don't click onto that, you 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 you're lost at sooner or later because those coping mechanisms, as you say, when you're 30, eh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, tell me if this has been your experience also when working with addiction, one of the most important things I've found and that I've learned is that you have to replace it with something that meets those needs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the people reason people stay addicted is because on some level, even if it's burning down every other part of their life, it's working. Right. And so if you, if you can't cope with your stress, or your fears or your problems. And I say, well, but the one thing I want you to do is just take the thing, the one thing that helps you feel okay and just throw it away forever and you'll be so free. Like what, what an empty bottle that is to open up, right? Like that's bullshit. So I feel like we need to, you know, we need to treat it like it is what it is, which is not, you know, the demon rum, but something that helps us this much and hurts us this much. And how can we find something that helps us the same amount and then doesn't ruin us oh so true and that is a journey that i have recently had to to come full circle because i over the last seven years i dealt with a lot of shit in my life and as as in the sense of i dealt with the trauma that had occurred to me and as part of me in my earlier life so i dealt with that i now built all this beautiful life but what i had actually forgotten was the positive sides of alcohol I had pushed alcohol completely out of the way. Right. And it is only now that, that a few of my guests had actually said, actually, there were some really damn good times with right. alcohol. And suddenly I had this, this little flicker of, of recall. And I thought, hmm, yeah, there were some damn good stories I can tell. <laughs> and, <laughs> I remember so, a few of them from listening That's, here. that's yeah. right. That's right. So, and I think there is a point to be made. Uh, it is, we can't just uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, we actually right. need to look very much what is happening. So, well, and it might, it might be, I'm sorry for interrupting you. It might be that people need to do that. It might be that in order to get alcohol out of one's life, one needs to turn it into a villain and say, you are the devil, get out of my life. Because maybe that's the only way they can break up. We do this in romantic relationships, right? People all over this great land of ours, this great earth of ours are... Um, <laughs> trying to break up with somebody who is fine, but 
but not a good fit. And so they engineer an enormous fight and they villainize the other person and they use that as the launch pad to get out. So if anybody needs that to get away from an addiction that's killing them, I wouldn't begrudge them that either. But yeah, ultimately, I think once you have that safe distance, then you can start to see it for what it is. And in life, truly, I don't know that I really believe in heroes or villains. You know, I think that there's just a lot of people doing their best and kind of fucking up sometimes. So true, so true. Uh, having said that, some of us are better in fucking up than others. So you have to admit that. I mean, yeah, I, I was I was a master. I should have had accolades for yeah. fucking up in my life. I, I, come on. So I was good. They should have given you an acronym at the end of your name that you could append to an esthetist, right? Like yeah, that's right. That's right. Anesthesiology, right? <laughs> oh, I need to think about that. I come up with something decent. Um, no, <laughs> but yes, it is, it is what it is. I think we all are broken people, full stop. I think the difference between us individuals is how broken we are. If we still wallow in our sorrows and brokenness, or if we actually recognize how broken we are and deal with it and then create a new foundation out of this rubble and move on. Yeah. That's, that's what I see again and again on my show. There are some, beautiful people who have gone through horrendous, horrendous things, and they come out a very different version out there. So how was that with the, the young Nick? So the bully, <laughs> <laughs> the bully would have been, yeah, it would have suited you a while, but you jumped from sort of 15 bully to 30 plus, uh, no longer bully. Uh, yeah, the story, little, the story little, in little. between would probably be quite interesting. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> since you asked, I'm happy to. Well, you know, it was it was a, sl a slow process, right? Um, and that's one of the things that therapy does. If, you know, perhaps regrettably, therapy can be a little slow going. Um, but when you consider the head start that our maladaptive processes have, you know, if you've mm. been doing something maladaptive for 30 years, it takes me more than three weeks to work with you to to, you know, figure out something different and put it in its place, right? Yep. And so, you know, through the help of some very patient and kind therapists, I was able to take a look and, and see things like something like sarcasm, which I thought was funny, and it is funny, I'm often funny, um, was really contempt a lot of the time. A lot of times that was me really holding up a middle finger to people and some that I cared about and some that I didn't, right? And so just even having that little bit of insight and then why do I feel, why am I expressing contempt for people? Like, mm. who am I spending time with that I need to express contempt for? And then the realization of all realizations, it might be that from time to time, the person I have contempt for is myself. <laughs> and, and so each of these is like, you know, it's like a ball of yarn. Each of these is a little string and you pull on and you get a little bit deeper. And the good news is that each string makes the yarn ball a little smaller, mm. um, but you got to pull on a lot of strings. Hell yeah. And it might not, one string might not get you directly to the goal. It, you might reveal one layer of the onion and, and think, oh, now that's a revelation. And then you already feel, oh, okay, well, I've done that. Yeah, it's not the whole story. Right. And, and that can take years, can it not? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and you're, I mean, I feel like we're really crushing it with the metaphors these days. The onion one is apt too, because the first thing you do when you peel a layer of onion is you get onion juice in your eyes and you cry. <laughs> so so you know, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of crying 
along the way. But again, this is the thing where, and I can only say that, you know, that this has been my experience, but I, I help other people have this experience as well, is that the more you learn about yourself and the more you're willing to take a hard look at yourself, the more contented of life you can lead. And that mm. it's just worth its weight in gold. So you're still making people cry is what you're really saying. And you... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. We need to talk here. <laughs> I'm grateful to say that it is rare that I make people cry. I often am present when people cry and I consider that a valuable service. But if I make people cry, generally that means that I've had a misstep. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I disagree. I, I actually, I mean, maybe we should talk about that because we are talking men's health and we are talking Man as being man with ape skins over the shoulder, knuckles sure. dragging on the ground. And it's just that old bullshit cliche that actually alters the way that we as men think we have to cope, think we have to deal with challenges, all these kind of things. So let's talk maybe a bit about the crying as a man and this, yeah. this kind of, of idea that we have to be, that men shouldn't cry. Men don't cry. Right. Well, remember, I mean, we talked about sort of um, the ways that these maladaptive things serve us because they all serve us in one way or another, right? And and no tough guy, myself included, sees himself as a knuckle-dragging caveman. You know, the tough image is like sort of the um, the stoic cowboy who doesn't shed a tear, he does pull his guns whenever he needs to, maybe he's really tough and he can fist fight. But you know, like people don't see themselves as Neanderthals, they see themselves as cowboys, right? Or some kind of obnoxious sort of thing. And, and on some level that image of yourself really works, right? It feels really good um, to feel like nothing can make you cry. And it feels really good to know that you are gonna win a fist fight or that you're gonna, you know, at least you're gonna screw the other, you know, mess the other guy up if you get in a fist fight. Mm. And so much like with the alcohol to ask somebody to give that up, like that's going to be a hard sales job. If I say, Hey, you know what? You're doing pretty well, not feeling anything out in the world and you're doing pretty well being tougher than everybody me. Why don't you come into my office and cry like a baby? Mm. Does that sound like good? And then I'll charge you for the privilege, right? That's not a, that's not a good sales technique. You really have to focus on what comes beyond that, which is that you can be upset about stuff and it's okay. You have you can have a thousand emotions instead of three. Um, you can have close, intimate relationships with people that you love. You can experience art in ways that you never dreamed possible when you were trying to be the Marlboro Man. Like there's a, an incredible, vibrant life out there. And unfortunately, it requires giving up something that feels really, really dear. Mm. And you're quite right, because... Also, from a, a primal biological sense, what do women want? They want mm. the wild pirate at night, and they want the, the, in the, the CPA during the daytime. So it is, women are a little bit difficult there, or often enough partners. They want the security, but also they want that wild manly image when it comes to relationships so there is a damn good reason if you if you're uh, very feminine you, you not many women will probably get very attracted to you uh in your ways apart from being a good friend so this, this uh, well i don't i don't know can i pick a bone with that because i don't know should. if i totally agree with you on that one should and i mean and of course we're in relationships with with people of all different genders uh men women uh intersex people non-binary right yeah um and and far be it for me to, to 
say what women want. I feel like that would be a misstep, but um, there are plenty of women who really want, uh, who really want a super um, tough sort of traditionally masculine guy. You may have seen that Brene Brown talk where she talks about uh, signing the autograph for the man who says, those two women over there, and he pointed to his wife and his daughter, would rather see me die on my horse than cry. You know what I mean? Or, or something, I'm, I'm uh, paraphrasing it incorrectly. Mm. But the idea was that he felt that the people in his life needed him to be tough, even the people that he um, loved the most, and that they would feel better if he died than if he wasn't tough. But, um, but I also find that there are plenty of people of all genders who would gladly sacrifice um, the toughness for a little bit of openness and intimacy and, and company. No um, doubt about that. No yeah. doubt about that. I was I was going for the, the extremes and sure, maybe sure. maybe also to tickle you a bit in all fairness. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for that. <laughs> so, tickle me go, all you want. Here's my wrist right here. <laughs> goal achieved. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's no, I was I didn't mean to be mean, but I wanted to. I want these points to come out because we need to spell them out because yeah. sometimes as men, we, we, we just, I don't know. We are just so stuck in our bloody uh, track up there. No, let's, let's actually derail that train a little bit and actually let's see, let's stop and, and look around. What are the versions of reality that are out there and that apply to you? It's yeah. not just that one person and you're quite right. There are times when you need to be tough. I'm a doctor. I'm an anesthetist. I get called when a shit hits the fan. So as part of a trauma team, um, yeah. I need I need to be the super hard guy. I go in there calm, controlled. Nothing can rattle me, and then I fall apart afterwards and cry in the corner. Yeah. So that is that that needs to be happening. That's for a soldier, for a policeman, for, for sure. anyone, for anyone out there who has to deal with fragile human beings in any way, shape, or color. Yeah. You need to be able to switch it on and off. So there's no doubt about that. So you can't just be the softy. No. That doesn't work. If you're only the hard ass, well, that bites you in the bum so big time. Yeah. And this is fine. So I mean, it would be so nice to actually see a hands and a true hands up by the by the people out there. How many of them are actually crying? How many of them are actually happy to release emotion uh, and be honest about their emotion? Yeah, this would be so nice. I mean, in your experience, are there truly men that don't cry? Oh yeah. Well, I'll tell you that I was for a very very long time, and mm. I. I mean, it came back to me in my 30s. Mm. And I, you know, it's hard one for me. Um, I learned very early not to do it. But I tell you, now I cry commercials and shit. I mean, I may have, I may have gotten it more than I wanted to. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those things where, yeah, there's, there's tons and tons of people of all genders who don't cry because no. it wasn't safe for them. But no, their mask doesn't cry. Ah. So their their outside doesn't cry. Yeah. Deep inside, that's a very different story. And that's what yeah. I mean. So if you actually pull away those masks and suddenly there's the real guy, I I challenge anyone with a with a Y chromosome or who wants to feel like a Y chromosome in their life. No, there's always, there's always emotions there. And if you bottle them up and if you, you push them away and down into the corners. Well, the next thing you need a hell of a lot of vodka or yeah. whatever, whatever your, your poison is in order to numb 
the pain and numb the lack of passion that you have created yourself. It's so but, true. Yeah, with this restrictive kind of mindset. Well, and I mean, you're, you've described just in brief, and I've heard from other people about what it's like to be uh, an anesthesiologist. And it is a, a, it is a job where I'm given to understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, it is either the most boring thing that you've ever done in your whole life, or somebody is dying and you are racing to see if you can save their lives. And that's a terrible binary. Like, I can't, like that, that's a cliche. That would, that's a cliche. Oh, okay, in sorry. reality, no, no. In, no. Nowadays we've got Sudoku. I can watch the news. <laughs> I can, no, no, no. So it's, it's actually no longer boring. So let's, let's okay, get well, that that's clear. Good. <laughs> I mean, for those people who really, really get their rocks off in Sudoku, I have a new career path for you. They're really doing amazing things with uh, anesthesiology. But, but I mean, like, so in terms of the thing, I mean, and there are some people who are really traditionally masculine and that's fantastic. And I celebrate that. And there are some people who are really traditionally feminine and all, you know, there's a spectrum. So for me, it's never about making one or the other. It's about saying to each person, who do you want to be in each moment? And how can I, how can I help you with that? How can I accept you with that? And how can I open the door wider for the world to be okay with that? Absolutely. And there is not a single memoir of any soldier ever written where not sooner or later that hard ass, bad ass breaks down and cries. And virtually every single memoir then says how good that felt, sure. how bad it felt and how good it felt at the same time because Finally, the emotions are coming out, the bottled up anger, unresolved grief, unresolved tension is coming out. And this is so beautiful once you allow yourself to do that. Yeah. Um, and, and how many are there, how many soldiers are there that never wrote memoirs where the child writes the memoir and says, my dad just drank himself to death. He would yeah. come home and he would be yeah. shut off or violent every day until he died. Yeah. That's true. Oh, That's it's heartbreaking. True. Too many, too many. I mean, luckily I've, I've had, I think the real, the real good fact is that people like you and me are out there and we are trying to be open about our own journeys yeah. and show that if two numb nuts like us can get our shit together, then then there is hope for a lot of men out there. Okay. Yeah. So, and I think that is the way we need to, to, to approach that. We, we can, sure. we can talk until our lips bleed. I think it is, it is living a life where you model this kind of behavior. Yeah. Honest behavior, which is such an empowering thing for others. It is, it is, I, I've, achieved that in my setting, in my job, quite well, where we actually are all quite open with each other and that we all accept mm. mental health as an issue. So people come to me and will tell me, hey, look, I'm, today I'm not myself because X, Y, and Z has happened. And you just, can you look out for me and, and uh, just, you know, understand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I said it before, uh, a girl, uh, uh, same age as me. I mean, I said girl. Uh, we had, uh, she ripped into me uh, last week and I thought, what the heck? And it was not nice at all. Mm -hmm. And everyone was sort of stopping for a moment and looked around and what the hell? Um, 
And she, and later, so the case was finished and uh, caught her alone and said, are oh, you all right? And she sort of <laughs> closed her eyes and said, oh, does it show? And I said, oh, just a little bit, just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I was picking up on something. It's a, a very subtle vibe. <laughs> and uh, she immediately apologized. And, and what she needed was a huge hug because her right. mum her mum is going through through dementia, needs to be admitted to a home, things like that. Oh. So huge, huge issues there. But it just shows. Now, the old me, if a nurse would have addressed me in that manner. How uh, dare you? I have deserved respect. You here comes Dr. Bitch. Neff, right? Uh, uh, the DR, right? And you just think, oh, for fuck's sake. That was that but that would have been the old the old guy. The old sure. guy who is hungover, who hasn't got his own emotions in 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 check, who is yeah. basically who is equally ah oh, just suffering and hurting and traumatized. And I would have immediately shot back, immediately. And it would have yeah. been a nasty fight. And so there, that is where the tissue to the gunfight is exactly, <laughs> is exactly well, the right thing. And I think that, that comes from a really important place that we rarely, I mean, I really think you're onto something. We rarely notice that I think the underlying thought between that feeling is no one gives a shit if I'm hungover and sad. Why the fuck? Should I care that you're crying and your family is hurt, right? And I'm the goddamn doctor here. And you weren't here when I, you know what I mean? Like you weren't here when I went to medical school and all this stuff. But, but the answer is actually, it would have been really good if somebody was there caring for you. And it would be really good if somebody cared that you were sad, right? It's actually, the problem is not that everybody needs to learn how to live with no care. The actual thing is everybody should be able to get a hug in a safe way when they need one. And I, you know, I'm, I'm glad, and I'm sure, I mean, Assume presumably they don't know. I'm sure they're asleep, but I assume that your patients would be very glad if they knew that was taking place because nobody wants a bunch of super <laughs> tense, upset no, no. medical team who aren't talking to each other. Right? You know, like and, and that that occurs. That occurs. I have lived in and briefed in such environments, and they're toxic to the nth degree. But no, 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 no. Is is I'm now at a position and in a in a in a place where I can. Uh, mold that and and encourage a different behavior, which is beautiful. And so people around me absolutely appreciate that and do the same from their end. So we are yeah. we are we are preaching to the choir, so to speak. But but the end result is that there is always a, a happy bunter. Well, ninety nine percent there is a happy bunter uh, going on, and the the patients pick up on that. And sometimes the patients can't help but giggling themselves to sleep because of all the yeah. shit that we are sort of throwing around at them. <laughs> and it's brilliant and how better to go off to sleep for an, a surgery is than to to laugh and have that have that laughter ringing in your ears so i love yeah. it i love it and that that's is a big transition exactly and that's that's how i love to live my life and and it's nice if you can actually achieve the same um with with the with the workplace uh, it is. It makes it so much more enriching, empowering, uh, all the above. It's it's yeah. just beautiful. Well, I love the way that your work is coming. I mean, that your work on yourself is showing up in your work and your medical work. And mm -hmm. I think that that's something. A message that I do want to spread is that you know, change like that does have to come from the top down, mm -hmm. right? And so. <clears throat> 
in the therapy office, um, it's it's not up to the clients to make room for themselves. It's up for me to make room for the clients to be who they want to be. And the same way that the doctor can create a space where it's um, it's welcome for the support staff to be themselves and to you know just be human and imperfect. Like that's fantastic, but that's not something that the support staff can like mm. bring into the environment, or at least not without a lot of bloodshed. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, so I want to make sure that me and my colleagues are out there um, really making room for people to be who they are. Mm. No, so true, so true. And in, in actual effect, I mean, this week, the last two weeks, I was relatively down myself in the sense of that I just burned a candle on too many ends and in the middle. So it is, I felt, I felt actually quite down and there was a, a tension building up and a burnout building up. And it was, I, I, I came back to something that I did in the past, actually very commonly. I put the appropriate music on that makes me cry. So Les Miserables um, for me oh, yeah. does, the, does the job all the time. Jean Valjean uh, is, I mean, the, the classic hero in and yeah. bloody hell. So I put that on and I cried like a baby. And it was so bloody beautiful. It was so, because the next day, my tension was a, a fraction that it had been prior to that. And I think it is, it is this release of, of a valve, like like an emergency valve, which you just let off the steam. In this case, the sadness, the emotions, they just came out. And I was the new kind of, of new and improved version uh, in that week. And I I absolutely want to share that with you guys out there. It is, it is such a beautiful, beautiful thing when you can deal with sadness and the hollowness and the emptiness that comes in our lives. That's what good self-care looks like, right? Is knowing specifically what you need, which is not something that we're born knowing. We have to actually do the work to discover it. Mm. And so in this case, you have a specific soundtrack that really works for you. And that's phenomenal. One of the things that uh, Michelle, who you and I talked about, and I shared on the Instagram feed recently was helping people understand the difference between zone out activities, which are often um, addiction activities, but not always. <clears throat> and actual self-care. So like zone out is I play on my phone for an hour and a half, right? Mm. Zone out is I smoke a whole bunch of weed, you know, and that's cool. And most people need some of that, right? But really, really nutritive self-care is I am caring for myself. I'm being present. I'm aware of what I'm feeling. I'm finding out what I need and meeting that need. Or Jean Valjean or Cosette is meeting that need. You know, somebody is meeting that need for me, not just, you know, mindless entertainment. Very good. Very true. When when men come to you, how do they come to you? What is sort of your your special interest? So amongst men's health, so to speak. The I think. Do you remember? Uh, do you remember Beavis and Butthead? Mm-hmm. Okay. So do you remember the guidance counselor from Beavis and Butthead? No. no okay. He was kind of a kind of a frail fellow. Um, who really got run around by Beavis and Butthead all the time. He like he sort of never had control of the situation. He was kind of insecure. He looked at these two horrible demon children and, and thought that you know he was going to solve their problems through nonviolence, right? And I think that there is kind of a stereotype that that's what male therapists are, right? right. And if they and if some are and that works for people, that's fantastic. But one something that I find helps um, working with men is to have a sense of humor. Um, to be willing to 
swear a little bit because mm. frankly, that's how most of us are with ourselves, right? That's those are the the sort of coping mechanisms that we have in our real lives. And that's certainly what I prefer when I'm talking to other people. So um, the first thing that I try to make sure people know is that I'm here to relate on a level that's actually going to feel fun and interesting and curious, but that's also going to be about you and going to be about, you know, actually helping improve the quality of your life. But I'll tell you, how do I get men in? I'll tell you, honestly, a lot of times the partner tells the man that they have to come into this. <laughs> and I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I've, I've, I've made peace with that. In the beginning, I didn't, I didn't know quite how to feel with it. Um, but it happens a lot of the time, and I welcome that. Uh, do you do couple therapy as such? Or do you first take the man in um, or the, the, the relevant partner? Let's put it like that. It really depends on how people show up. And I'll tell you, a lot of times you don't know who the relevant partner is. And most times both partners are relevant anyway, right? Um, that until you work with a couple, but I'm, I'm really very selective about the couples that I work with. And so more often I do a lot of work with individuals, you know, I'll screen couples really heavily, but in most couples, as, as I'm sure you can imagine, it's the system. It's not about the, uh, the identified partner and then the okay partner. It's, you know, two partners, that both have something that's not working out that need a little bit of individual attention. <laughs> the, the codependency, the codependency, yeah. isn't it? So Absolutely. Now, uh, for some people out there, I mean, we do know what we're talking about, but uh, if you can shed a bit more light, what is codependency? What is What does that actually mean in a partnership? I'm so glad that you asked, because this is something that people often show up not really knowing. And like most terms in psychology, it's kind of a misleading term that causes people to misuse it all the time. People use it in place of what we call enmeshment, which is where um, people are in each other's business all the time. And if you feel sad, I have to feel sad. And if you feel good, I have to feel good. And we're just never apart. And that's enmeshment. Codependency is a term that was coined um, to describe a person who lives their life in the service of an addict. Because for many years, we thought all families are the same and some of them have an alcoholic. And then what researchers figured out was that actually families with an alcoholic or an addict in them are sort of shaped and interact differently than families without the presence of an addict. And so the people, um, the people in the family end up kind of living their life in one way or another around the addict and their addiction. And those people are not dependent, they're co-dependent. Mm -hmm. So where that shows up in the world is people um, taking care of other people until it kills them, basically. Not being able to set boundaries, struggling to say no, um, putting up with, you know, a lot of inconsideration and abuse, you know, basically um, just not showing up for themselves, but always showing up for the addict in their life. And that, of course, does not only apply to to addicts, but also to to narcissistic relationships, to to enabling other forms of mental health Absolutely. problems, uh, toxic relationships, things yeah. like that. Yeah. And narcissists are addicted to something too, right? They're mm. addicted to that adulation or that grandiosity that they feel like they deserve. And if mm. they don't get it, then they get as mean as any anybody who needs a drink and doesn't get one. Mm. Very good point. Very nice way of simplifying that. Very good. Now, so, bloody hell. So, you're working with men who wouldn't know an emotion if it bites them in the ass, <laughs> um, who are numbing their pain, 
whose partner has told them to go to see you and where they have got this vision of Beavers and Butthead, uh, numbnut counselor. How <laughs> the hell? I mean, that's starting on the back foot, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it is challenging. Fortunately, I mean, again, we have to look at the ways that, that we all see ourselves. And so I think what I think from the outside, it might be like, you know, they don't know an emotion. And I've been that guy that doesn't know his emotion from a hole in the ground. But also, I mean, these are people who often feel like they're holding everything in their life together with dental floss and glue, mm. you know, like mm. who are just, who are suffering all the time and haven't smiled in a week and a half unless they were drunk. And, you know, they just want some relief of the stress or pressure or depression. And they're just trying to be stoic about it. Mm. And that's, I think that's how they see themselves. And so again, I wouldn't try to take that away from them. I would say, come in here and let's look at what's stressing you out and see if we can help you. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Because as we said earlier, these are coping mechanisms that fill a need and you can't yeah. just take them away. It's, it doesn't make sense. You need to right. provide the safety uh, where you can start chipping away on the coping mechanism and replacing it with something else. Yeah. And of course, that takes time. And that's, again, I think... That's one thing I would like to highlight to everyone out there listening. There's a damn good reason that you listen to this podcast or watch this YouTube video. Obviously, it, it rings a bell with you. Can you imagine you go to the gym and you do one workout really, really hard, and now you're fit for the rest of your life? Yeah. I'll, I'll pay any amount for that gym. That's, That's right. I I, at me. If you know that gym, please send it to me, okay? <laughs> right. I'll, I'll, yeah, you'll be first. <laughs> yeah. No. So the reality is there, is there is so much crap going on in your head that you need to explore with the help of someone like Nick to see what actually, what's happening, what coping mechanisms have you been using, which one still suits your life and which ones yeah. might maybe not to be so clever anymore, like the bullying in your case, and see, you know, are there other coping mechanisms that you might need to learn? And like everything yeah. you learn, it takes time to learn something. You don't just mm -hmm. get it right the first time you jump onto a bike or onto a snowboard or whatever it is. So, yeah, uh, bring some time to that gunfight and lots of tissues. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A few boxes of Kleenex, a watch, absolutely. All the stuff that you need, right? <laughs> so, no, that's, that's brilliant. So when people start working with you, um, you screen them, you get a good feeling for them, and then you you uh, are there to accompany them for a little while and help them learn their lessons. Yeah, learn well, and, and hopefully to help them experience some of what they experience in therapy out in the world, right? In addition to saying, here's how, here's coping mechanisms so you yourself can cope, it's also how do we get you more support from the people in your life? Because mm. men in particular, but all kinds of people don't want to ask for help and they don't mm. want, you know, to come home and say to their partner, you know, I, I'm sad. I'm so fucking sad right now that I feel like I'm going to explode. Can I please cry to you? You know, mm. a lot of men would rather die than ask that. Mm. But a lot of times the partner would rather have that than a distant husband who's, you know, off in the clouds somewhere, right? Like a lot of people, a lot of people can support you the same way, you know, it might be that, you know, your boss can handle you being sad. 
And I dream of the day where people can be sad and bosses all over the world. And I've been the boss that can't handle that. I, I remember turning white at a meeting where somebody started crying and just thinking like, oh my God, this person doesn't know they're at work, right? But yeah. of course, really the thing is I didn't know I was had a staff made out of human beings, right? So it was actually me missing something. And so anyway, to bring it back, how do we get people the support that they need from the loved ones in their life? And if that isn't there, then how can we increase their support network to include something that really serves them? Hmm. So hopefully I'm the first, but not the last. Nice, nice one, nice one. And so true, because there is actually so much help out there. And yeah. the problem is because we are not opening up, we sometimes people around us don't see how much hurting we really do and how much in yeah. pain we are. And therefore, it, it becomes that double-edged sword of being that strong guy, whilst really you are begging to be to be held. And someone just saying, just the simple fact of someone saying, are you all right? And really mean yeah. it. God, that is that little phone call coming out of the blue. Hey, just thought, you know, I haven't heard from you for a while. You know, how are things going? And yeah. you know, are you all right? And it's so beautiful. It's so bloody beautiful because it's okay to not be okay. We have yeah. got that in New Zealand. We have got that as a as a as a kind of catchphrase to highlight that mental health is a very real thing out there. We've got quite a lot of rugby stars and and other sports uh, heroes that are bringing that message out there and it yeah. is really 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 beautiful and but having said that there's one thing of seeing it on a billboard there's a completely different story for someone to actually make that first step that that huge step of testing the water of actually taking the mask down and saying i'm actually not okay right and is i take i take my hat off to those men out there who are willing to take that first step because that's the biggest step. Once you made the first step, then you realize it actually doesn't hurt so much. On the contrary, it actually gains you so much more credibility as a man yeah, and gives you so much more fulfillment. When I mean, it's not uncommon nowadays that I come home and my son is there or my wife is there and, and I say, look, just hold me for a moment. And they know I've had a shit day or a long day uh, or whatever has happened. I just need that hug. Yeah. And it's the nicest feeling. 20 seconds of a hug. Oh, and I'm a different man. So it's, it's suddenly there's hope again. And I see, I see the, the world in a better place, not through the uh, survival kind of thing. And God, try it, guys. Try it. Just actually... Tell, tell your partner in the nicest possible word, shut up. But maybe don't say shut up. It doesn't work. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't work. Maybe, so maybe say, look, can we talk in a moment? I know you want to tell me all about your day, but can we talk in a moment? Can we just hold each other? Would that be okay? Yeah. And Ask for your what you want. Your partner will be blown away. Mm -hmm. And you might have the, the most beautiful cuddle that you could imagine. And that is that is worth the world. So guys uh, and girls or, or whatever your nomination is, uh, try it, try it. Yeah. Please. Well, and don't you like to be asked when you come home and, and somebody in your family says, you know, Stefan or dad, 
would you please hug me? That would make me feel so much better to be on for 20 seconds. Isn't that like, don't you like live to fulfill that request? Oh, shit. You know? So shit. when did we learn that we couldn't ask for that ourselves or that that wouldn't be somebody's pleasure to do for us? Isn't it? Know? And that's the good question because you raised it to yourself. When did we learn that this is not a good thing? How yeah. does that happen? Why? How? I, I mean, I... If I had a clearer answer, I would, you know, I would work towards it. But I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of entertainment. I think there's a lot of um, uh, heteronormativity. Um, there's a lot of things that tell you that you're a girl or you're gay if you cry. And, you know, I remember learning at a very, very young age that those things weren't okay, you know, or learning when you're being bullied that if you cry, they bully you harder. Hmm. Um, you know, there's so many different messages and they start at such a young age. Um, that I think we have to look hard at the messages that we that we provide for people and people like you and me who I mean gratefully you have this YouTube channel so you actually do get to provide a message to a lot of people I don't speak to the world at large um, generally but I can lead by example mm. and, and you know each of us has a little role to play mm. in making a world where people can can actually be themselves Absolutely. And I love that New Zealand has that thing. It's okay not to be okay. That's so rad. I'm jealous. I'm legit jealous. Between that and the breaker uppers, I'm really, really feeling New Zealand right now. <laughs> We're a good, good place. There's no doubt. Yeah. So I'll see you soon. Okay, man. <laughs> the, only, the only thing is you like it hot. I like it hot. But uh, yeah, it's not so hot in New Zealand. Oh, okay. <laughs> there is there are cold, uh, There are wet and cold winters at times. I mean, the the land of the long white cloud. That's the real name of New Zealand. It's a bit of oh, a wow. giveaway, the long white cloud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like they're sending me a message there. But you know, Greenland is called Greenland and Iceland is called Iceland. And apparently Iceland is rather green a lot of the time. And Greenland is of course, just a big block of ice sitting on the ocean. So I don't, I mean, can I believe or do they just want to keep me out? And I understand they wouldn't be the first party I wasn't invited to. I hear you. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're invited by me. So Thank come you. across, come across. And if you, if I ever see you here, you are due a nice, nice holiday that I make sure that we show you all the good, good and lovely places here. <laughs> I can't wait. And if you're ever ready to bake to death, Oh, yes. California is open oh, and available please, to you. Please, please, please. The only thing you need is a different uh, president. You need to get rid of COVID and a few other little minor details. Then, then we're talking, okay? <laughs> From your lips to God's ears. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly right. Oh, man. Nick, it was such a fantastic talk to you. Thank you so much for, for sharing your passion about, men, about men's health and about the, the need to address our our insecurities to, to work on the underlying problems that we do face and, and and work with these emotions emotions are normal okay guys yeah. it's normal to feel sad it's normal to feel anxious it's normal to feel fear terror i all these emotions are absolutely normal so don't don't feel shame don't feel guilt about them say oh hello new emotion i haven't seen you for a while right. now, what do you want to tell me and does it work right now i feel terror because there's this car coming straight at me i think that's a good thing thank you terror that's i better get the fuck out of the way now <laughs> so was, so that terror really helped me exactly so sometimes fear and anxiety make a lot of sense Absolutely. now when that has to do with an email 
Uh, probably <laughs> not. Probably not. Okay. So you don't don't jump off the, the chair just because that email is coming at you. So I think that is where you need to learn a bit the differences out there. Sure. And it can be a jungle. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And only because you're paranoid doesn't mean to say they're not after you. Okay? So, <laughs> so that's on. a companion lesson to your feelings. Okay. Also, <laughs> yeah. look over your shoulder. Uh, there's right. a lot of monsters out there. Yeah. Watch your six. Come on. It's just, uh, <laughs> no, I think the reality is, is, is the, healthy, the healthy middle ground. Show your emotions. Find safe places where you can do that. Find yeah. the male friendships or the, yeah. the, the, the friendships that are non-sexual where you can talk and be honest and debrief and be the real you how beautiful is that and be the male friendship also you know be the person that other people can come to be the person that makes room for other people's feelings and experiences too you know that's Mm -hmm. like that's the that's the other part of the of the calling for us indeed now, Nick, thank you so much. Thank oh, it's such so a pleasure. Much. Thank Just you for letting one, me be here. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing I need to ask you, if you had the chance in a time machine to go back in time, what would be the one message that you give to your younger self, to that young teenager who was succeeding in his emotional fights by bullying? I, I mean, this is going to sound... This is gonna sound a little bit biased, but I would say, dude, get a therapist. (laughs) Get a therapist. (laughs) Get a fucking therapist, dude. That's what I would say. And it would have helped me, you know, unfortunately I think I was 27 or 28 when I got my first one. It would have helped me immeasurably to have one as a teenager, but you know, we can't pick our times and I'm grateful it happened when it happened. And it's the same with me. I keep saying every teenager, every 18, 17 year old should have a four weeks mandatory rehab uh, because you're learning so many skills. You learn so many insights. You learn so much about looking after yourself. And it's, it's bizarre that we don't teach our youngsters at a much earlier stage the lessons that they then have to pay either in blood, sweat, and tears and mm-hmm. make the hard lessons in, in real life or pay in hard money that they have earned to actually see a therapist uh, right. with 10 years, 20 years, 30 years delay. And yeah. it's, it's just a shame. So yes, that's, so any, any, any parents out there who are maybe having difficulties with their youngsters, learn the messages from Nick and me and, and maybe seek to help earlier. I think that would be a bloody good reason. I'm, I'm definitely on board with that. Cool. So, Nick, thank you so much. I had a ball of a time. And you guys out there, look after yourself. Bye. Agreed. Thank you, Stefan. Bye. Bye. Bye.